King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett, and you're listening to the Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Hey, how are you guys doing out there? It's another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. It's a Wednesday night, uh, you know, about, I don't know, 80-something degrees over in Georgia, and uh, hope that you guys are tuning in live to hang out with us and talk about a bunch of wrestling topics tonight, like we always do every Wednesday, usually at 7 p.m., I had some stuff come up that I had to go take care of. It sounded like a hitman, um, but uh, we had to reschedule at 8 o'clock, so I appreciate everyone that, you know, waited. And if not, you're listening to this as a recording, and uh, you're in the future, so that's kind of crazy. Think about that. All right. Uh, I definitely want to introduce my wonderful co-host, the co-host with the mostest, Mr. Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderful, man. Just having a cold beer, getting excited to talk about some wrestling. Um I didn't have any business to take care of, uh, like my co-host Dane. But uh, outside <laughs> of that, I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, I love it when you do that. It makes me feel the club. Oh. Uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah, I, I uh, I'll just admit on air. So basically, I was uh, going home from work, and I work at a t-shirt printing company, and uh, I was supposed to pick up something at one of our distributors on the way home, and I completely forgot to just went home. And all of a sudden, I was realizing around that, I don't know, 6.10, we're supposed to go on air at 7. Holy crap, I need to go pick this up. And they closed at 7 o'clock. So I did a bunch of, uh, you know, running around, and I made it happen. So don't think that I was, you know, assassinating anyone, being a hitman. I'm not, you know, I'm not a cleaner. I'm not a hitman. But you guys hopefully get that reference. Either way, we made it. We're on air. It's time to talk wrestling. So why don't we get right down to that and talk about the news? Um, I, I think we should uh, start with, Chris, um, kind of weird news. I was on air Sunday, uh, as many of you know, uh, for Geek Vibes Live, um, and Kanan found out the information about Hulk Hogan uh, getting reinducted into the Hall of Fame and being at the show uh, Sunday night um, at Extreme Rules. He was backstage before the actual big event happened. He had a talk with the locker room, and uh, it was very weird to hear that on air, especially when we're talking about movies, all of a sudden to switch over to Hulk Hogan. But, yeah, Hulkster is now reinstated back into the Hall of Fame. He was at the event. He had a conversation with many people, including Mark Henry. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of vibes from this. I'll just say that. So, uh, negative, uh, a good portion negative for, for reason, and then a chunk not negative and supportive. Um, I've heard from many different podcasts and uh, different people like, you know, news pundits over with wrestling talk about this. Um, A lot of them, you know, if they're African-American or a different race, you know, I've heard a lot of positive stuff. I've heard basically 
um, you know, we'll never forgive what he said, or uh, we'll never understand what he said, but but we can forgive him basically as a person, stuff like that. Um, I don't blame anyone for having, you know, aggravations about this whole entire thing. It's a really touchy subject. I think that if he used that as an opportunity to bounce off of and kind of maybe go to, you know, places that are maybe populated heavily by Caucasian and might have a certain atmosphere and maybe try to go to schools and kind of be an ambassador for WWE and talk to him about this type of stuff. Uh, I didn't like hearing that he was basically warning the wrestlers about be careful what you record. I think that was kind of kind of productive. Uh, but I love Hulk Hogan in a sense that he was a kind of like oh I love He-Man. Well, I guess more, more like Spider-Man. I'll put it, you know he was he was a hero to me, Chris. Back when I was younger, I'm sure he was to you too to an extent if you watched WWF back in that time period. And uh, he's a wrestling icon. Um, I think that who was it? I don't know if it was Kofi Kingston. The New Day put out a really, uh, you know, uh, a very serious. I just think it's kind of messed up that everyone's asking, like, every black professional wrestler, African-American professional wrestler, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? It's kind of just awkward as hell. But I get it. Uh, New Day put out their own thing on Twitter just about the whole entire thing, how they're indifferent, how they want to learn how to forgive people. But there's a lot of tension based on this, and they're going to go out and be great performers just based on this. So there's several layers. You have Booker T, who said that he that you know he wants to forgive Hulk. That WWF is not the WWF without Hulk Hogan. I know that he might be biased because he also says in the same interview that Hulk Hogan helped him get a lot of pushes in WCW because he saw potential out of him. Uh, I know Mark Henry is a lot different. I know that apparently Hulk went and talked to him, Chris, and said, uh, you know. Um, I don't like the way people look at me. I don't like the disgust that people get. Apparently, Titus O'Neil left as soon as he got there. He was completely very, very angry, and he basically apologized. There's a lot of apologies, Chris. Do you think this is going to actually be able to do anything, and should WWF even pick up the Hulkster for anything besides maybe an ambassador? Like, no television, I don't think, at least for a while. What do you think? I mean, right off the bat, they – just to get the news right, he he was he was at Extreme Rules, correct, and then he was reinstated into the WWE Hall of Fame. So, looking at the WWE Hall of Fame, um, there are some people in there, such as Mae Young, um, <laughs> for one. Um, another being Jimmy Snuka, who was basically a convicted murderer. There are people who have done questionable things that are in the Hall of Fame that should have also been redacted same time as Hulk Hogan. I think the thing was a political move uh, by WWE originally. We've talked about this. I don't agree with what he did at all. Obviously, uh, got called for it. I think everyone makes mistakes. I'm not sure that he's done enough to redeem himself. And if I was WWE, I wouldn't necessarily go out on a limb and put him on TV right away. I think there's ways to build positive relationships out of this, but I could understand how any athlete or anyone that works in that company um, you know, might feel differently or might have a different opinion. Obviously, uh, I, I see Hulk Hogan as Hulk Hogan, watching Hulk Hogan, mostly, uh, believe it or not, tell into WWF and into WCW right before he turned into a heel. So you're, you're talking more him going against uh, the, the, the Dungeon of Doom, so to speak, Hulk Hogan, uh, Andre, the, him versus the giant uh, Hulk Hogan. More so than oh, uh, 
more of what you were at WWF. Uh, growing up being more of a WCW fan, um, that being said, like it's hard not to appreciate what Hulk Hogan accomplished for wrestling, and if you're putting it on merit alone, Hogan should be reinstated into the Hall of Fame. Now, that being said, you could make the point that someone like China should be in the Hall of Fame, or uh, if you really just are going off quality of work or what they were able to accomplish in the wrestling business, you could look at someone like Chris Benoit. So it's a slippery slope uh, to reinstate someone after you remove them from the Hall of Fame. Not saying that what Chris Benoit did and what Hogan did are equal or what, you know, Jimmy Stucker was accused of and eventually convicted of, uh, though he wasn't able to stand trial, um, are the same thing. But you get what I'm saying? It, 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 it seems yeah. really jaded to have those looming things for your Hall of Fame. And, and somewhat, you know, there's a few wrestlers in there, like I said, with Young and uh, Snuka, who honestly probably committed more heinous things other than making racist comments. Uh, it's a weird subject. It's a touchy subject, and I could understand why anyone would feel the way they did. I would like to take the time, if you allow me, to just read the New Day statement. I thought it was very well written. Um, I do have it yeah, pulled up. absolutely. So, to the WWE universe and whoever else it may concern, this will be the only statement we'll make regarding Hogan's reinstatement into WWE's Hall of Fame. We do not wish to spend the energy debating the point because between our kids, our external ventures in this job, our energy is spread thin enough already. Lots of laughs, LOL. We are only writing this simply to provide an answer to the many who have bombarded us with questions on where we stand on the issue. We preface this statement by emphasizing that this is our own opinion and may not necessarily reflect the opinion of anyone else affected. How do we feel? Indifferent. We are not happy or sad, angry or resentful. Who WWE puts into the Hall of Fame is totally and completely up to the company, and from a career standpoint, there is no argument on whether or not Hogan should have his place. We have no problem with his reinduction in the slightest degree. It is impossible to even begin to mention the history and evolution of the business without mentioning his name and accolades. On a personal level, when someone makes racist and hateful comments about any race or group of people, especially to the degree that Hogan made about our people, we find it difficult to simply forget regardless of how long ago it was or the situation in which those comments were made. But we also do not respond with more feelings of hate. Instead, we just do not associate with the people who convey or have conveyed this negative and hurtful mindset. This instance will be no different. Perhaps if we see him make a genuine effort to change, then maybe our opinion will change with him. Time will tell. Through the course of our lives, people have used racist comments towards us, and it doesn't feel good. But if we stopped moving forward every time we were met with prejudicial hatred, then we would have never achieved our current accomplishment. We know we are worth it. Kids are worth it. Most importantly, we know that the people that look like us are worth it and always have been. There isn't a person on this planet who will ever be able to say anything to make us think otherwise because we believe in ourselves as a people and don't need anyone's approval on that regardless of who they are. Having said that, his reinstatement won't change anything for us. It will have zero effect on us, our ability to perform, or the level of effort we will put into doing what we love to do. And that is to deliver entertaining product each week for our fan base. Sincerely, The New Day. Never trade your authenticity for approval. So I think um, the statement by The New Day is touching. 
I think it's basically touched on what we said, um, summed it up into words. You can't take away what Hulk Hogan was able to accomplish. I think you should be able to be angry, be indifferent, feel however you feel about it. And uh, if it, you know if him getting reinstatement upsets you to the point where you don't want to watch WWE anymore, I would say think about the other athletes, the fact that they haven't done anything. Um, look at their work and, and try to ignore this looming thing. As long as Hogan's not on TV, I don't think it should affect you. I'm not saying bail on the WWE. You could look at throughout wrestling history and find all sorts of very, very bad things. For instance, the fact that Booker T and Stevie Ray were actually won in a card game on WCW TV by Colonel J. Parker. Like, there are things with shades of racism all throughout wrestling. While it may not be direct racist commentary or direct racist comments, it exists in the world. I'm not saying go out and forgive Hogan. I'm saying if you're angry at him, be angry at him. But also try to keep in mind the other wrestlers and the people that didn't commit this, such as like the New Day. Um, and don't be mad at someone like Titus O'Neil because he's set or some of the other wrestlers who may not have welcomed Hogan with open arms. And try to keep in mind that it's not just Hogan making these comments, but he, is, uh, he has been known to rub people the wrong way for a long time. So it's, it, this adds on to that. Uh, what I will say is when you look at the Hall of Fame and you look at people that have committed these acts, um, not only from comments or things that they've said in the past, but maybe crimes that they have committed, whether convicted or not, that are well known, um, it, it's one of those things where you kind of have to deal with it as a wrestling fan. And it's not just WWE. Like I said, it's spread throughout many companies and not just the athletes themselves, but the companies themselves. Uh, if you really want to look into some of the stuff they've done in the attitude era, even if you take race completely out of it, look how um, they treated women in a lot of ways. Uh, they've had abortion angles. They've done uh, May Young giving birth to a hand. Uh, it's all things that you should be upset about and think about. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do. I'm just saying it shouldn't detract you from the product as a whole. Um, to me, I would have steered clear of this if I was WWE from a business standpoint, um, especially in today's society, uh, with the way the world works currently and all of the hot-button issues that are out there. Hogan will always be a legend. The fans of Hogan will always be fans of Hogan. Uh, bringing him back doesn't do anything. As I said previously, when we talked about this originally, I don't think it does anything for your company without him going out and making the effort to actually change or right the wrongs that he's made. Uh, and I don't know how you do that, and I don't have an answer for that. But uh, I did want to read the New Day statement, got that out, kind of said my piece about it. Dane, you got any rebuttal or anything you want to say? Go ahead. No, no rebuttal. I mean, I just think that the m number one thing that we should realize is that, um, you know, let's not assume. And uh, I, I can understand anyone for having problems, but this has to be, I mean, there has to be something in which he comes to WWE, they come to him. He has to basically prove himself to some extent now. He's got to use this time, and I'm assuming all of this is a part of that, 
Now, whether, honestly, and I mean, I hate to say it, but this is how the world works, whether it be some program WWE's now going to go into and use Hulk Hogan as a poster boy to go school to school. I'm not saying they do that in a negative aspect, but some of it's just good publicity and a way to, you know, uh, invest in, in some type of charity concept. And, you know, they do a lot of great stuff like that, but I hope it's not to that level. I do hope that he does stuff, like I said, maybe going to areas that are predominantly white and trying to reach this concept. You go everywhere, actually. Racism should be talked about, and it doesn't matter between race. The stuff that he said was horrible. It's not going to go away. I would definitely say there's a difference technically between, I would say, a performance on a television show, you know, um, that's, that's not meant, you know, WWF is pretty flat out there. It's not meant to be taken seriously. They've done a bunch of horrible stuff, but he did this outside of that, and that's what makes it even worse. And that's what I would think that, yeah, um, they definitely have to. He's got to prove himself. He's got to. He's got to. He's got to work for this, and he's got to do something about this. And uh, I think that he's lucky to be back in the Hall of Fame. And uh, you know, maybe this will be some. Maybe some sort of positive and information will get out of this. That's a positive way. All I have to say is that if we're taking Hulk out of the picture, then I think we should remove Mula, Snuka, and definitely the Warrior. But you know. I don't want to be like one of those guys. It's just there's a lot of people that have done some heinous stuff, like you said, Chris. That doesn't justify what Hulk Hogan did. He's got a chance to redeem himself to some extent, and hopefully he does that. Do you have any last statements before we move on, buddy? No, like I said, I just I would. What I wouldn't do is take it out on the product itself and the wrestlers that are trying to entertain you. Um, so if you canceled the WWE Network because of this, I feel your sentiment, but your favorite wrestlers are still out there wrestling, and they have nothing to do with Hulk Hogan. And I've seen a lot of that online. Well, I'm canceling the WWE Network because of this uh, as a protest. or I, I understand the protest. I, I do get it. But also remember that there's a lot of people out there working hard to try to entertain you that have absolutely nothing to do with Hulk Hogan. Um, and at the end of the day, you're hurting them more than you're hurting Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is not putting on any matches. If he shows up on TV, then yes, now now you have a reason. But uh, outside of that, I, like I said, there's people that have committed heinous acts that are still in the Hall of Fame. I think it was weird to remove him from the Hall of Fame in general and that they only opened themselves up for this controversy. I don't know who handles this stuff for them, the May Young Tournament, and the way that they kind of handled Jimmy, Jimmy Snuka's death with a tribute, um, and, and some of the things that they've done in recent times, considering where we're at in the world now, have not been the best. So they should probably Yeah, I would look. say the Warrior Award is one of those things. Would you agree with me? I, I would agree with you. I, I think there's multiple things where you have to look at it and go, we're not handling some of this stuff right. Nope. Um no matter how you look at it, 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 from a business perspective, take feelings out of it. But from a business perspective, knowing how your product goes out to so many people, and and the 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 like with May Young, for instance, when you're trying to reach a female audience, and information is so fluid on the internet in the way it is, like probably not the best decision. Like some of these things are just bad decisions that you would think with the Be A Star program and some of the, the programs that they've done, they would have someone there that could say, hey, this is a bad idea. Um, yep. 
just from a sociology standpoint or just a humanitarian standpoint of we don't want to do this right now. Like, this is not good for business. Hey, to clear up, Chris, I, I don't know if you're actually t- meaning to talk about her, but you keep on switching between Mae Young and Moolah. You're, you're referring to Moolah in all this, right? I know Mae Young did some stuff, but Moolah is, is the person Both. who basically pimped out something. Nope. I know, I know. May Young stole from guys and shit like that, apparently, and beat the crap out of Mark and shit. But both, you know, sending both. girls both. to go get—I don't know the extent of May Young. I know Moolah's horrible. Ugh, that, they're, that's, they're, I can't believe they almost had a battle royal. They're both Moolah. Moolah just is bad. But in in general, the sentiment's still the same. To clarify. Yeah there should be someone there looking out for WWE. I'm sure that they have a staff of people that are telling them that these are bad ideas. Probably start listening to them. Um, if you're going to remove someone for the Hall of Fame for a reason, don't put them back in. If baseball all of a sudden tomorrow removed everyone that ever admitted to using steroids oh or put an asterisk next to their name, you can't put them back in. Babe Ruth's out. You just can't. You just you just can't do it. So you know what I'm saying? Like if you take someone out, you don't yep. put them back in because what it does is it opens up every other superstar that has, that is in the hall of fame. And you can look at someone like Snook and go, well, does he deserve to be there? If you're going to redact one person, why don't you redact all of the people that committed crimes? Um, I so it's one I of those things. It's, it's a slippery slope. And as someone that should have a PR team, you would think that a company this big would be aware of these things. But uh, yeah, we should move yep. on because I think, I think we spent enough time on this and, and we've talked about it before with Hogan um, when they initially talked about bringing him back. Um, well, I think we said a lot of the same thing, but uh, we definitely yeah, needed to I address agree. it. Like I said, hopefully Hogan learns from this and can try to take this horrible negative experience and flip it to some type of positivity and can give some type of redeeming qualities of himself from all this. I don't know. Time will tell. Let's move on to something a little bit lighter and a little bit more fun. Uh, Booker T has made a statement basically that he might be down uh, for one more match. And he's kind of been going on different platforms. He was on Sam Roberts uh, two days ago, and then he was on X-Pac today. Uh, talking to both of them about this concept. And he's just, he said basically, like, you know, Booker T's in terrific shape. Uh, not too long ago, apparently he was one of, I didn't watch the, uh, the not Ultimate Fighter, but the Tough Enough season where he trained Patrick Clark. But apparently Patrick Clark considers him one of his mentors. And uh, he got Booker T to come out to NXT to, like, you know, the new recruits and, and you know, kind of talk to him and everything. And while Booker was there in the ring, everyone started asking him to do the spinneroonie. He said he hadn't done it in like several years, and he was still able to do it. He knows he's in good shape. He said that he'd probably most likely do it uh, at his own wrestling academy. I forgot what it's called, but it's in Texas, in Houston, obviously. Uh, it's the one that, um, oh, why can't I think of her name? Amber Moon came from, um, several wrestlers. Uh, so he said that he'd probably do it there to kind of like, you know, go in the ring with either one of his his uh, classmates, you know, the ones that he's mentoring, or someone else for them to kind of have, you know, a reference, a show, something to that extent. 
But he basically put it out there that if, if the money is good, you know, and the WWE were to want something for him, he would uh, consider that. But I think it's cool in concept bookers saying that, you know, he thinks he has it in him to do another match. Um, I, I would love to see that. Even if it didn't come to, uh, to the WWE's, you know, format, if we were to get possibly, uh, I mean, this is, this might sound crazy, but like, I would love to see him in uh, Velveteen Dream tear it up at his, his wrestling academy. Even if we don't get to see it, the fact that they have a match together, that would be really cool. I mean, that would be kind of like a teacher-student type of concept. And uh, I don't know. I, I love Booker T. He's one of my favorite guys. Um, even when he's commentating, he'd say ridiculous things. He's a hell of a lot more fun to listen to than Jonathan Coachman. I'm sorry, Coach, but you're just awful. No one gives a shit about your word of the day or whatever the hell you're trying to get out there. Um, but, yeah, I miss Book on Raw. But I understand. He's got, like, a million things to do. He's running a, a wrestling academy, Chris. He, he's uh, trying to run for mayor of Houston. You know, he's got a lot to do, but he wants maybe, maybe one more match. Uh, could you see this? I, I think it was Sam Roberts that brought up, ah, you say one match, but, you know, you have a good match at the academy, then you're going to get that whole bug. Do you think that Booker could end up turning this into a couple matches, or would this just be one, or is he just talking hot air right now? And potentially, what type of match would you like to see with which wrestler? I mean, right off the gate, like right out of the gate, I I think that when he says one more match, he's probably thinking Survivor Series or a Royal Rumble match. I don't know that there's the want for Booker T to have a one-off match unless maybe it was against one of his former students. Uh, I guess Patrick Clark technically, even though Patrick Clark wasn't really trained by Booker, I know that he has uh, talked about being a, him being a mentor in things, but like he had, he had already had some wrestling training before he got to uh, too tough enough, if I recall correctly. But Ember Moon, for instance, was trained by Booker T. So if you look at the fact that he's touched both of them in the way and, and how phenomenal both those athletes are, uh, that's that in itself is great. Um, I'm trying to think of who I'd want Booker T to face. It would be really cool to see him have a Rey Mysterio type moment in the Royal Rumble. It's really hard yeah. for me to think of a one-on-one match with him. Uh, it, he doesn't really have anyone left that he's really feuded with. I guess you could do something with Undertaker if you really wanted to, but I'm trying to think of anyone that's even left on the roster that would... Um, intrigue me in a way that I, I would want to see Booker T come out of retirement. Uh, outside of NXT, I, I'm talking main roster. Who? Shinsuke Nakamura. I think that would be fun. Uh, it would be fun to see those well, two go head-to-head. I don't, I don't think it would be a great match. I, I think someone like Chris Jericho would be fun with Booker. Um, maybe Randy Orton, if he was doing like a legend killer thing again. If they wanted to put the, the the reins back on him and do something with Booker, I think those two could have a good match together. Uh, it worked out well. And then, obviously, you can give Randy some other people as well. Uh, with the the amount of people they bring back to the Royal Rumble, you could have uh, you know Randy go through like someone like Hurricane Helms, maybe like a Matt Hardy. And, uh, Randy's getting up there in age, so if he's doing a legend killer thing, if I was going to do that angle, I would have someone also legend kill Randy Orton and it kind of be like 
the new Randy Orton. I don't know how you would go about that. You would have to find the perfect person for it. But uh, I mean, I guess Booker T versus Velveteen Dream would be really fun, or Booker T versus uh, Ricochet would be really fun. Those probably be my two go-to, just because they're both. They both came out and said that they were inspired by Booker T in some way, shape, or form, and I, I think that would be fun. Um, also, if you're just doing a one-off match and you get Rey Mysterio on the card, Booker T versus Rey Mysterio, have a WCW match. I'd be down for that. This is a nostalgia thing. Um, but, as far, but as far as main roster, it's hard for me to think about. You know, like I guess Seth Rollins would be fun. Just top of the card, it's I, I don't know who matches up with, with Booker T. He's been gone for so long. There's not a lot to draw off of his last run in WWE and then the TNA run after that even less. So it, it's a weird situation for him. But I would love to see him in the ring. Uh, Royal Rumble, I think, would be perfect, especially if they didn't just have him show up and get eliminated right off the bat. Yeah, I, I think his school wants to do a full match over there, get Velveteen Dream to come out, two of them. I would love them to bring it to NXT or some other type of level like that, but that's up to him and if he comes out and makes a Royal Rumble, uh, you know, appearance, maybe that will lead to something else, you know, get, get the juices flowing. But uh, it's fun to talk about. Like I said, Booker T's still in phenomenal shape. Uh, he's one of my favorites, so it would definitely be a lot of fun to have him back to some extent uh, wrestling-wise, at least maybe for, like, a, you know, a greatest hits tour, I guess. As long as you're not the Rolling Stones, which I think is Ric Flair, but the yeah. Stones are still going. So... All right. Um, there are, uh, another bit of news. Man, dude, Chris, we need, we should have gone to the Jericho series. I know that me and you both couldn't afford it, but holy crap, the amount of people that are on this thing that are just going to be there in the open kind of uh, and all the podcasts that they have and all the wrestlers uh, that are going to be doing like my podcast. Chris Jericho is doing his podcast there. They're doing a Killing the Town. They're doing um, Conan's podcast which is unfortunately with Disco Inferno. You guys can listen to it. I can't bear it half the time because he's an idiot. Um, but, yeah, a lot of stuff like that. Jim, JR is going to be there. Him and him and, uh, and Jerry the King Waller are going to be commentating for the whole entire wrestling experience and doing stuff. Uh, they just have it. Bruce Pritchard is going to be there. So, Ricky Steamboat, uh, Ray Mysterio Jr., there's everyone and their mother going to this. And on top of that, they have wrestling events and rock event. So Jericho's going to, Fozzie's going to play. He's got some other people coming out. I think they have an ACDC, like, tribute band that's, like, one of the biggest or something like that. He's gone over it many a times on the show. But I think, obviously, we're a wrestling show, so the wrestling stuff is going to cater to us the most. I don't know if this is going to be on different nights, but one night he is, or it's all going to be on the same night, but um, they're going to have the Alpha Club, which consists of the Young Bucks and Chris Jericho versus the Omega Club, Kenny Omega, Cody, and Marty Skrull. And on one of the, either the same night, if all the wrestling's on one night, I don't, I haven't looked at the itinerary, I apologize. Or if it's on a different night, they're going to be doing Impact versus Ring of Honor, which there's so many great fantasy matches that we can think of. Uh, I, right off the top of my head, John Morrison versus Jay Lethal. Boom. I mean, just so much fun that you can have with the roster. Uh, maybe Pentagon might not be on there. I don't know if they're paying him, but a majority of the people, Austin Aries versus whoever from Ring of Honor, you know. Maybe he fights himself because he's also a Ring of Honor guy. I don't know. But, Chris, do you wish that we were going on this cruise that is like the mega, mega cruise for wrestling fans? I think it's the uh, Jericho 
uh, boat of awesomeness or cruise of awesomeness. I don't remember exactly, but not only that, are, are you excited about these wrestling matches? And do you think there's potential for Chris to try to make some extra money and have some recordings or, or since he hasn't really talked about that, is that ruled out, do you think? I'm not 100% sure. I think there's definitely a way for them to get this thing online uh, in some form. It, obviously, it's going to – I think it's more something you film and put out later uh, as a DVD or something you put on Ring of Honor's website uh, as a streaming option for a paid amount or on Amazon just simply because it's going to be in the middle of the ocean, right? So it's going to be hard to do a live stream from the middle of the ocean. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just don't know the amount of money matches up. I do know that I just looked at the tickets for this thing again after not looking for a while, and maybe they raised the prices, but this thing is $950 per person. And if you're doing a two-person room, say in the interior, which would be like the worst part of the cruise, obviously, because you're on the inside of the boat, $950 per person. If you're doing a single person, the price is the exact same. <laughs> so bring someone with you, I guess. But it literally says $1,900 do a booking. Um, it, it's a very expensive thing. This is Stuart Allen, huge. and you're listening to Geek Vibes Live. Uh, sorry about that. I don't know what the hell just happened. Apparently, Stuart Allen wants yeah. to say hi. Hey, hey sorry. <laughs> but uh, in any case, like I was saying, um, if you're a really huge fan, mega fan, and you like the music that's going to be there, because there is music, there, it's a whole festival, they're doing meet and greet signings and everything, it seems like it'd be a really cool thing to do. I mean, Jim Ross is going to be there, uh, DDP, Raven, Mick Foley, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, they're doing a bunch of podcasts. If this is, uh, you know, Blizzard of Oz, Ozzy cover band, uh, uh, I think Ronald Bunches is doing a stand-up thing. Um, there's a bunch of stuff going on. So I think you could, you know, feasibly convince yourself to do this. But that is a lot of money, man. I, I don't know that I would, uh, even for those matches. I, I'd probably buy it on DVD, but even if I had the money, that's that a lot of money for a cruise. Yeah, I've never been on a cruise, so I don't know how much they cost. I'm just a sad guy that stands on the mainland. Um, not really a big fan of the ocean, though, going to be honest with you. I feel like I'd be one of those jerks that's getting seasick the whole entire time and really regrets going on the ocean. But um, that's, either way, that's close cool to the Wrestle. I mean, that's that's close to the WrestleMania uh, ticket packages, price-wise. Put it that way. Now, you are getting a cruise yeah, and a bunch of other stuff. That. But it that is a close amount. Depending on where you're sitting at WrestleMania, that is a very close amount to obviously you're not staying overnight and they have hotel accommodation packages and stuff. It, it's close. We, I would say within a thousand bucks of what you would pay to do the WrestleMania package where you get a hotel and tickets to all the WrestleMania events for WWE. So maybe that's what he's going for, but that is a that is a shit ton of money. Yep. <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> So maybe we can go in a couple of cruises once he's gone down in price. Um, let's hope for that a little <laughs> bit. Let's also let's do some hoping in a different direction, Chris. Uh, knowing Impact lineup, knowing uh, Ring of Honor, what's like maybe a match that you would like to see happen on this cruise? 
man. I guess is Ray Phoenix still part of Impact currently, or has he moved on? Yep. I would say no, Ray Phoenix versus Jay Lethal. I think Ray Phoenix versus Jay Lethal would be absolutely phenomenal. I, w- I would love to see that. That'd probably be my number one. That's a good one, definitely. Um, thinking Austin Aries versus Cody, that would be a fun one. Just a lot of battle of uh, you know different types of concepts. Marty's going to have an interesting one. I'm assuming that tag match having a different night. But, yeah, regardless, whoever's going, good for you. And if you just <laughs> – sorry to sound so snotty about that. Good for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you want to try to, like, uh, get us stowaways in, uh, Wrestling Geeks Alliance, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to figure that out. Just message us, you know, on Facebook. But um, I'm actually going to – I'm going to kick it to you, Chris, so we can talk a little bit about uh, NXT recruits and then also uh, some information with the Mae Young Classic and their contestants this year. Okay. Uh, right off the bat, we talked about Keith Lee and Io uh, Shira previously. Obviously, they're uh, coming. They were both sitting. Uh, Lee was shown sitting in the front row at, at TakeOver Chicago, and then um, Shira has appeared at a couple of house shows in Tokyo and She's joining NXT. She's coming straight into NXT, but she's also been confirmed as one of the May Young uh, Classic participants. Um, but there's also some more people out there that maybe we haven't talked about. MJ Jenkins, uh, independent wrestler. She was formerly part of the uh, Impact Wrestling Knockouts division. Uh, we have Lacey Lane, a former basketball player for Shaw University who has since wrestled on the Indies and once held the Crash Lucha Libre Women's Championship. So she had some wrestling experience. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting is as we get down towards the other recruits, they're more just athletes in the way that you have a Kurt Angle or, you know, a Bobby Lashley or someone that comes from another athletic background or even, you know, Dana Brooks who came from fitness modeling or uh, CrossFit and, and all the things that she's done, not to compare them to, you know, her obviously to Bobby Lashley or Kurt Angle. I'm just giving examples. But um, Stacey Irwin Jr., uh, Dave Meltzer actually referred to Irwin as the highest caliber gymnast ever in a U.S. promotion uh, while reporting that he'd be signing with the WWE. So this guy comes with a uh, high thumbs up from Meltzer. We have uh, Luke, I'm going to slaughter his last name, uh, Menzies, M-E-N-Z-I-E-S, who apparently is a former rugby player. He's done some work over in the U.K. last few years. He was uh, trained by Marty Jones. We have uh, Taishan Dong, a seven-foot tall boxer from China, and Denzel Desjournet, who's an amateur wrestler for Appalachian State while he was in college. So we're looking at a bunch of different athletes. Um, and I guess coming out of this, the, the question I would have for you, Dane, is with them putting the territory system in, in place, we know that they're going to be looking at other wrestling federations, so to speak, or booking promotions to find talent, as they've done with Ring of Honor um, and over in the UK, and even to some extent uh, in the past with, with New Japan, do you think it's good that they're starting to look outside of maybe the wrestling world to look at other athletes who may or may not have some wrestling training, but obviously were skilled in other uh, other things? Uh, back in the day when you had a territory, if you had someone that was really good, uh, for instance, uh, Texas was really big on this. If you played for like... Uh, 
Texas or Texas State, you ended up wrestling somewhere in Texas a lot of times if, if you didn't move on to the NFL. Uh, there's tons of wrestlers that were former football players in college, et cetera. Uh, do you think that this is a good thing? And do you think it shows the WWE is not just looking at the independent scene uh, for talent? Because I, I think it's a step forward from what we've seen with them just signing talent from other federations. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Not only do I think it's a, a good thing, but I think it's a smart thing, do, too. Uh, I think it's very strategic. I think it's, it's good to get other cultures within their product right now, their American product, but also to make superstars possibly for other territories they open up, you know, throughout the country or throughout this country and, and all the other countries and continents, obviously. They're going for this globalization concept, and I think it's smart to uh, do that with different cultures. And then – and the aspect of different uh, types of athleticism, yeah, are you kidding me? I mean, people got to realize, especially if they're one of those, uh, you know, uh, apparent indie lovers that, you know, it has to be a professional wrestler from the independents, blah, 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 blah. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And there's a lot of wrestlers, thankfully today, with the markets they have that are making enough money to be successful, you know, between merch sales or whatnot and jumping, well, they're making as much as, as, as WWE wrestlers. And that's, I don't think it really ever happened, and that's great that they have that option. And if they get in the WWE, that's also great. But looking at other, you know, sports, like if you get the gymnast, like you said, and I know that it's not a part of this one, but they got the, uh, the first uh, American winner from the American Ninja Warrior thing, um, and, and she's training over there. And, and uh, you know, just, just different boxers and football players. I mean, how many football players, probably a lot of them linebackers, were, you know, wrestlers first. Wasn't The Rock, wasn't he doing football beforehand? Bill Goldberg was. I mean, people got to realize that. Randy Savage was doing baseball. I think that he hurt himself, and that's inevitably the reason why he decided to go more with the family business, but he was trying to get into baseball beforehand. So, you know, it's it's different athletes. It's different, you know, you're telling me that back in the day, if WWE got to get Muhammad Ali to actually become a wrestler and wrestle for them, they wouldn't do that because he's a boxer. That's that's ludicrous. There's a reason why Mike Tyson brought so many eyes to the product. And unfortunately, this is what I have to tell a lot of of, of uh, diehard comic fan, uh, comic movie fans and, and and whatnot. It's not about you. It really isn't. I mean, it, I'm, when I'm when I'm saying that is more of the fact that this is WWE. They're trying to not get your attention. Your, your attention is already on the product. They're trying to get expand that. They're trying to get the, 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 the bigger market itself, you know, the general public, to come check out their product so they can get more money. It's about money. It's, that's what rotates this whole entire thing. So if for any purist, I, I apologize, but I completely disagree with you, and I think it's very good that they get from different types of concepts. Like, I mean, are you telling me that back in the 90s, if Bo Jackson decided to do professional wrestling, you would have been like, no! Fuck Bo Jackson. Give me a goddamn break. That's bullshit. I mean, it, but they're okay with MMA fighters because that's kind of close. No, if, if, it's, if it's an athlete, if they want to show potential in professional wrestling, some of the best wrestlers in the past didn't come grassroots from wrestling. Some of them came from other sports, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not a sports fan, as you know, Chris. 
Yeah, and I I agree completely. I mean, two of the greatest of all time, like you said, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he played in Miami. Ric Flair played in Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. And then that's not, like I said, with West Texas, you have Terry, you know, you have Terry Funk, Dory Funk, Stan Hansen, Ted DiBiase, uh, Manny Fernandez, Bruiser Brody, Tito Tito Santana, Tully Blanchard, Blackjack Mulligan, and Dusty Rhodes. Um, so being in a, like when WWE hires football stars and people gawk at them nowadays, uh, I, I would say take a step back, give the guys a shot. I think it's up to WWE to train them, to make them good wrestlers. And maybe that is the disconnect in comparison to, you know, a lot of those guys being trained by, by Dory Funk Sr. But um, I, I would just say, you know, Let's give them a shot. Let's see what happens. Uh, I'm excited for it. I think it's unique. I think it's different, and it's names that I haven't heard of uh, in the same way that I hadn't heard of Velveteen Dream, Patrick Clark before, you know, tough enough. I would say WWE kind of brought him into what he is now in a lot of ways. Uh, Not that he wasn't trained outside of that and didn't have any knowledge of the business at all, but as far as he, he wasn't a big independent name. So when I see them making an effort to find the next superstar again in the way that Jim Ross used to, it makes me excited. So, uh, it's all exciting stuff to me as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, all, all we really want is good wrestlers, good wrestling. And that's something that can definitely be taught if you have some type of athletic background. It's probably going to help you out. I mean, I would assume so much. So I don't know. Um, I'm I'm excited to see this new, and uh, I'm hoping that we get to see a lot of them on the main stage because I know that some of them probably won't make it. Maybe they won't. I don't know. I'm just saying that there is a possibility. So uh, that the the large uh, Chinese gentleman, the boxer, he's very interesting. Um, you know, I don't know. Obviously, he's probably reminds me of Baba a little bit, but I think that's kind of a. I don't know. They could do something with him for some reason, if if he, especially if he's got some charisma, but. We'll see, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the May Young contestants, um, have their I'm – tr- I'm, I'm trying to think. So they've added a couple new ones, haven't they? Yes, they have. Uh, I'm going to pull up a list of all the competitors right now, and we'll just kind of go through them real quickly. Uh, I think that they have – the ones that they find the best pegged already. Some of these are from last year. We have uh, Rachel Evers, Bianca uh, Belair, Tony Storm, Carrie Zane, uh, Mia Yim, Ray Ripley, Marty uh, Marty Bell, uh, Mercedes Martinez, Candice LeRae, Sheena Baszler, uh, Serena Deb, Santana Garrett, Aisha Raymond, Miranda Salinas, Obviously, I don't know all of these wrestlers, by the way, uh, so if I mispronounce names, apologies. Uh, Tanera Contier, Jazzy Gabbert, Princess Zugat, uh, Renee Michelle, Sarah Logan, Kavita Diva, Zeta, Piper Neven, uh, Rena Gonzalez, Kaylee Kaylee Ree. Kaylee Ray. God, I, that's a tongue twister. I will never get that one right, and I know her. Uh, <laughs> Lacey Evans, uh, Tessa Blanchard, Sage Beckett, uh, a ton of people. That's pretty much 
everyone that's been igni- uh, announced so far, uh, minus uh, Yoshira, which I just talked about in the last segment, who was the longest reigning champion in stardom history, if I, if I recall correctly, actually coming over for her is a huge deal. Looking at this lineup, there's tons of good female athletes. I'm really looking forward to this tournament. Um, just seeing like Tessa Blanchard involved, knowing that uh, Carrie Zane's going to be in the mix. Uh, Shayna Baszler, even though, you know, she's coming, just coming into this thing uh, from NXT. There's, there's just going to be a lot of good matchups and a lot of very, very entertaining things to watch. Uh, I hope that they don't focus as much on Lacey Evans as they did last year. I really just don't think she's that great. I would, I would like to see them expand on some of the other American superstars they have if they want to go that route. Um, outside of that, I think that you're looking at uh, an opportunity for Carrie Zane to get a win in the tournament, either that or set up a feud between her and um, her and Io Shira. That's going to be my guess, but it's still early. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Last year they did a promo for each of these wrestlers, so I'm curious to see when that comes out. There's still people being announced, but right now that's the current lineup we have. Just your thoughts. Did you like the first tournament, and are you looking forward to seeing who else gets announced, and do you have a favorite to win this thing, I guess, would be my question. Oh, I loved it last year. I thought it was an awesome tournament. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm completely down. Uh, I really uh, – is it – I'm, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong again, Chris, but is it is it just uh, Io? Shall I? Yeah, Io. Or Io Shira. And, you know, uh, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, she's, but, uh, yeah, I, she I'm, was well known in stardom. Like that was, she, she's the longest, if I remember correctly, she was the longest reigning, you know, champion in stardom. Which stardom is, for those who don't know, is the biggest, probably the biggest uh, Japanese female federation at the moment. So, yeah, basically, you know, it's. It's the, if, if you will, it's the New Japan with their male uh, wrestlers because they don't have a female division. That's kind of like the female highest or most watched product over there. But I just I love uh, I love this con or this uh, contest. I, I you know we're going to see a lot of uh, great wrestling matches, and that's that's the biggest thing about this is the wrestling matches themselves. So all these ladies. I can't wait to see them. I I really enjoyed this tournament last year, um, and yeah, I'm just uh, I'm really uh, really really excited to see a lot of these uh, participants uh, go against each other. Uh, the ones returning, obviously, and the ones uh, you know uh, getting mixed in that are new. It should be very interesting, and um, I, I I don't know anything past that. But um, I guess uh, we should move on to, to kind of reviewing some stuff, Chris. Huh? Yeah, I guess so, man. Let's get into it. All right. So, uh, you know, I, I understand people are going to want us to report on this. It's going to be hard, especially by next week with all the uh, the episodes to keep up with. But we're going to try our, our due diligence to keep up with the G1 tournament. Uh, I haven't watched the first three nights. I was barely able to spit out the uh, the second night. I was able to catch the Kenny Omega uh, Tetsuya Naito match. Literally, some of it while 
I'm going to be honest with you. I was on air with you guys to try to get some of it wrapped up, and it was incredible while I was watching. So if I ever seemed like I was in La La Land, that's the reason why. And I'm not talking about that, that movie with uh, Ron Gosling. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Chris, uh, you know, truthfully, how far have you gotten with the first three nights? I have finished the first two. So that's okay, where I'm We're currently even. at. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, let's go over the first two nights. Um, uh, just to let you guys know, I did not check out the tag matches. I kind of wanted to get to the meat and potatoes. So we're just going to go over specifically the G1 tournament. Um, and, man, they had some, some killer matches. Uh, the first one, Togi Makabe defeated uh, Yoshihashi. I'm not going to say it's a throwaway match because it was definitely a hard-hitting match, but it definitely was the least out of the ones from the first two nights that, I, you know, it's it, my least favorite, I guess you could say. Uh, it's just, you know, a standard uh, Makabe match. He was on defense a lot, and then he came back. thought that Yoshihashi was going to get it. Makabe got the win. Two points. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about this match? I felt pretty much the same way. I did like the finish uh, with Makabe uh, placing, you know, Yoshihashi on the top rope and hitting the spider German suplex and then his his finish um, off the top. So I I thought that spot was really cool. But outside of that, it it was kind of just the average match, like you said. Absolutely. All right. Hangman Page defeated uh, Bad Luck Folly because of uh, disqualification. Uh, so within this match, you know, you had a very hard-hitting match. Bale made it very known that, that he's basically like, you know, fuck the Bullet Club. So he's with the firing squad, which I thought was going to happen, and he beat the living shit out of Hangman Page for a while. And he definitely – Page had some comebacks in him and, and shit, and then, of course, it went with Tamatanga and Tongalo and, you know, just – that just decimating him, and he got a disqualification, which pissed him off even more. So he took it out on Adam Page, and uh, Page goes on with two points. He's one of my favorite guys in this thing, and uh, which is crazy because I didn't give a flying fuck. I'll be honest with you about Hangman Page. You know, I don't know six months ago, but now he's he's one of those guys, very much like Jay White, that has really impressed me, and I've enjoyed uh, seeing the evolution. Just another one for that example. Chris, how do you feel about this match? Yeah, Hangman has really grown on me as well with the stuff that he's done in Ring of Honor and the last pay-per-view, New Japan pay-per-view that he was at. I think he's done some really good work. Um, I think it makes sense. I am not a huge fan of DQs in the G1. I think it's kind of, not to be a purist or whatever, but I I don't like them building storylines by DQ out of the G1, whether it's Bullet Club or not Bullet Club, but I don't really care. I just don't want that shit in the G1. So the match itself I thought was fine. I get where they're going with the story angle. I just think I really like uh, in the G1 itself. Yeah, completely understandable. I think that storyline should be taken out of the G1 tournament, but Obviously, they know how big Bullet Club is, so they got to throw a little bit of that within there. And I'm sure we're going to see more of it, but hopefully, if it happens, Chris, kind of like last year when Tomatonga kind of had his initial freak out against Kenny, they handle it in the ring, and they, they tell the story about it with pinning the two of them together. But we'll see, uh, obviously. Uh, Michael Elgin defeated Evil. This was a, uh, you know, a, a Haas match, uh, except for these, both these guys can do some crazy stuff for, for the size they are. Michael Elgin, my God, he is 
He's looking pretty uh, pretty chiseled. I think that this is definitely the best shape I've seen him in. Uh, he's like a little miniature Dr. Death. It's crazy. But um, uh, I enjoyed the match. Uh, it was very back and forth, especially to the end. And Michael Elgin was able to pull it off. Uh, Chris, how do you like this? I love the fact that uh, he hit, uh, you know, a buckle, uh, like the buckle ball at the end. And then they went through... I don't know if it was one or two reversals, but he hit a razor's edge, which was awesome, and then his finisher. Um, it's cool to see someone hit the razor's edge whenever it happens. I get, I, I pop for that, and I thought they beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. So, overall, I really like this match. Um, sucks. Evil lost. I'm a big evil fan, but Michael Elgin's a damn good wrestler, and he does look like he's in really good shape right now. So, I'm excited to see what they do. Um, evil last year surprised me a lot in the G1. So I'm curious to see what they'll do with yep. him. I think he's kind of taken a little bit of a back seat recently. Um, so for him to have a good showing in the G1, I think would be a big deal, but we'll see where they go with it. Absolutely. Um, I completely agree with you. Uh, Evil was like that standout last year, I think, that I definitely took away from the whole entire thing. It was him, a couple other people, but uh, either way, uh, the next match, my lord, this just looked painful. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Minoru Suzuki, and all they got to do is, is, is take my disbelief and just go after one body part like Suzuki did to Tanahashi and keep on relentlessly going after the legs and putting him in heel hooks, which I know don't feel good in real life, you know, and just keep on going after the same leg in Tanahashi. I mean, it's, it's, it's that classic concept. I mean, it, it was kind of a strategy of a lot of wrestlers like Bret Hart who would go after the legs and shit like that. Um, you know, to, to break someone down, obviously if you don't want them to walk and jump off the friggin' top ropes, classic story, go after their legs. Then you don't have to worry about it. Um, and uh, very painful. I love the turnaround, and I have to say that Tanahashi was brilliant at selling, but when Suzuki was selling his own leg injury, I, I honestly was like worried a split second, maybe I'm just a mark, man, that he actually popped something um, and, but he was just selling his ass off, and it was a good match. Um, I, I like how this is probably going to play out throughout the tournament with Tanahashi, uh, maybe giving him some added elements within the matches. And Suzuki's definitely going to have his chip on his shoulder, and being able to watch that happen is going to be a lot of fun, I think, because Suzuki with a chip on his shoulder is terrifying. Uh, Chris, how do you feel about this match? It's kind of crazy to say, but this was my favorite match of the entire night. Um, with uh, with a card that has Okada on it, this was actually my favorite match. Um, I really enjoyed their ability to turn the heat on and off. Uh, I think Tanahashi is just brilliant at selling, obviously. The two high fly flows at the end to get the pin, um, I think the build-up to that was really, really great. With just just both of them, uh, like like you said, the back and forth between both of them. I, I thought this was the match night one. Obviously, it's one night, so we'll see where it goes from here. But this was my favorite match of night one, and it was cool to see Tanahashi get a win off the bat. It's interesting to see what they're going to do with him. Uh, we haven't gotten, you know, like, we could maybe a Tanahashi versus a mega match. That could be fun. But that could be cool. You know, a title scenario, maybe Tanahashi, this is where he gets back on track. It's kind of been on and off. I don't know. He's a, He would be an interesting pick if you were a betting person, if you bet on wrestling. Tanahashi would be a uh, probably a mid-tier pick that you could make some money off of if they decide to go that route. But uh, I thought this was a fun match. And uh, probably my favorite of the night. Yeah, it was definitely, I think it was my favorite of the night too. 
Um, but this next match was pretty damn good, too. I just don't know how I feel about the ending. Um, man, they are building Jay White to be a top heel because Jay White defeated Kazuchika Okada um, in a very badass match. But it started off like, you know, hey, I'm the leader, so, you know, don't fuck with me. And Okada was basically messing with Jay White for a good portion of the beginning of the part, doing obviously his, his normal against the ropes, break him up, you know, go to chop him, and then pat him on the head type of thing. And Jay White wasn't having any of it. And he didn't give a shit who the hell the leader of chaos was. He was going to win that match, and he was going to fuck Okada up if he had to, you know, within the whole course of this. And he did some heelish shit to the guy that's supposed to be the leader of the, of the group. Um, you know, I wonder, like, I wonder if they're going to play this in with, like, how Will Ospreay feels about this, and, you know, for future stuff past the G1, if, if Jay White's going to end up getting himself casted out of chaos for acting like this, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, uh, great match, uh, a lot of heel stuff, at one time there was a ref bump, and, um, there was this part where through this, and their metal chairs over there are so much denser than the ones over here, I swear to God. Because he just launched the Okada's head, which is good, but Okada let the thing nail him in the head as well. So uh, it, was, it was a pretty, pretty brutal hair, headshot uh, with the chair and just more distracting. And, uh, you know, he basically he, he got the win. Um, I, I was very flabbergasted by this. Um, and, uh, yeah, how, how did you feel about this, Chris? I, I, you know, I thought this was a very interesting night one in general uh, with your Bullet Club versus, uh, God, what is the name of the group with uh, Los Cinco de Pick up on? Oh, oh uh, Firing Squad. Firing Squad. I, this seemed like a setup of two groups battling. Um, they put, you know, Okada kind of on the outs of chaos with the promo that Jay White cut. Uh, declaring that chaos was his. It's his now. So you have another, not, I don't want to say recycled storyline because it's different, but could this go the route of Okada maybe joining one of these other groups? Uh, because, like we said, New Japan in the past, they're kind of built around groups. Bullet Club! Uh, especially Okada Bullet Club! Uh, I'm not going to say Okada Bullet Club, but if it happens, I totally called it. They just didn't do it the exact yeah, way I would have did it. <laughs> but Okada Bullet Club would be really awesome. I want awesome, a Rainmaker Club shirt. Especially, Rainmaker Club. Especially, especially if he ends up being the one that takes out Kenny Omega if Kenny Omega does decide to leave and go to WWE, which I think will happen at some point. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. But I, I think that he has enough pride in him to want to get the belt in both places now that he's uh, conquered kind of the mountain in Japan. That being said, I thought this was a good match. Um, the finish made sense. I Just like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the, the G1 is a traditional wrestling tournament. I like they're trying to build feuds out of it, but I like, I, I, I prefer it when it's built um, by straight wrestling, not necessarily with a, uh, like the way the first match went. And the, the end of this match was more of just, you know, White getting Okada's head. I think it was booked a little better than that first match where there wasn't any interference. It was just White being a complete heel dick. But it also feels very, to me, WWE. 
in comparison to New Japan. Yeah. Um, so it, it's I liked it. I just it wasn't as good as that Tanahashi match. Like w- watching Suzuki and, and Tanahashi uh, beat the shit Two out of legends. each other. Both sell, both sell as hard as they did was just fucking incredible to watch. Um, but that being said, this this Jay White match for what they did and what with the storyline they're going for, I thought it was a really good match. And you got Jay White coming out with two points. That doesn't mean that Okada's out at this thing by any means. Um, everyone's going to probably take at least one loss in this thing, and I think that's that's always the thing to keep in mind with the G1. So. Yep, absolutely. Let's move to night two, uh, which has Naito wrestling. Haha, <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, Tommy uh, Tomihiro Ishii defeated Toro Yano, and. I can't believe I'm saying this. It was actually a pretty damn good match. It was actually really entertaining, too, at least for me. Um, I like Yano going. So I guess uh, they tried to explain this the best they could. Don Callis was trying to explain that. Claims to have multiple personalities, and this is actually like his, his, his wrestler personality because he's actually – he was a collegiate wrestler in Japan, and he also has an MMA record. I don't think it's the greatest, but he's had several matches. So he's actually an accomplished – um, wrestler, grappler, fighter. So what did they do? They flipped it. He still did a couple of Yano traits. Of course, he went for the uh, the turnbuckle, but it ended up screwing him over a little bit. But uh, just a, a, a fun match, I think, and showing Yano off in a different light. And I think even though he had a loss, he's going to carry this concept, and maybe it will harden him to even like try to wrestle more and not have like the usual style Yano match, which uh, – it, it was uh, interesting to see. Uh, he was he was throwing Ishii around like it was nothing. Well, I mean, Ishii's a, a brick shit house, but he is not the tallest guy. But like I I'd have realized Chris his size when they were you know profile with each other. Like I was like God, Ishii is like five seven, five eight maybe. Small dude, but how'd you feel about Toriano and his match with uh, Ishii? I I think this is one of the best Yano matches I've seen in a while, and him and Ishii kind of told the story of the fact that he's a little bit of a joke, and he played it up more serious, and it reminded me, um, for people that maybe aren't huge New Japan fans, uh, a little bit of what Eric Young used to do in TNA uh, with the way he played his joke character. Not as out there as, say, a uh, Santino Morella, but more of a serious take on it. and I think Dono has been nailing that for a while. I like the end where he was thinking about going for the low blow a couple of times, and then it just didn't work out for him, and he ended up losing. Um, because he gave him a low a, blow. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was just a fun match. Like, it was just booked very well, wrestled very well. It wasn't anything incredible, but it was something very fun to watch, especially if you know Yano. Uh, I thought it was good. Yeah, the, this next match also I think was a really solid match too. Tomatonga defeated Juice Robinson, back and forth, showing Tomatonga more as a heel. Even though they had a part in the audience where they were chanting both their names, Tomatonga was trying to not get heat. He was actually trying to get them to call him out, but uh, still he he performs like a sinister heel. I love his movements. He's so fluid. Um, I'd love to see him and Seth Rollins tear some shit up. Uh, I think they would have a great match, but um, I. Obviously, he had Tonga Lo in his quarter. Uh, they took advantage of that a couple times with Juice Robinson. Uh, Kevin Kelly luckily kind of filled me in that 
They used to be in a tag match to add some layers to it between Tonga Lowe and Juice Robinson. Juice looked great. He was he just had a problem where the same thing that's going to affect him throughout the whole tournament. His whole, you know, quote unquote broken hand that he's doing on his left hand, he can't use it because he's got a cast on it and that would disqualify him. So he's known for getting that left in. I think it's a little bit of tribute, he said to Dusty Rhodes who taught him over in WWE, uh, to kind of do that that combo thing because comes with that left hook and uh it definitely was played throughout that at one part where he got tongue low with it shortly after that though he ate I, I don't know what they call it uh chris i think it's a stun gun uh, it's rko it's same shit but uh yeah it was a great match but uh, how did you feel about it i thought it was a fun match the it makes i think they're gonna have tama and or Tama and Juice feud for a while. Uh, they're both great promos, so I'm actually looking forward to that. And I have no problem with Tama getting the wind here. I think it makes you know his new group look strong. Um, but like, aren't you just a little bit disappointed that Ming didn't put anybody in, in the tongue and death grip? Just saying. Like last time I watched New Japan, Ming was there. He was putting people in tongue and death grip. So outside of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I, I think King Haku was was uh, stepping in for uh, Bad Luck Fale basically until they got back to Japan. But uh, hopefully we see a return of the tongue and death grip when he goes against Kenny Omega. That would be kind of fun for it to come out of nowhere. In all seriousness, though, so, man, he's got some scary kids. That's all I got to say. I'm wondering when their when the little brother comes back. He was huge. I don't know if he went back yeah. down to doing Young Lion stuff, but. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a scary faction. That's uh, some scary dudes. All right, but this next match, I I gotta say, and I like both guys. Didn't do anything for me really. Um, it's between uh, Hiroki Goto uh, and defeating um, Sonata. And I like I said, I like a lot of these guys. But it was it was a very slow paced match. A lot of rest holds at first, and then it started picking up. At the end, there was a good sequence of exchanges between Goto getting his finisher on Sonata, trying to do a a moonsault and the missing, and man, that guy definitely was trained by Keiji Muto. He just fluidly moves very similar to him. It's uncanny. Uh, but yeah, uh, Goto got the pin. My, probably my least favorite of the night. Uh, nothing against them. Still a good wrestling match on any you know count. Probably better than most WWE matches on Raw or SmackDown. But um, well, I don't know. We had some good ones this week too. I'll give WWE that. But um, still. It was a match. That's how I feel about it. Chris, how do you feel? It's it started out very slow and I thought I got good at the end. Like with five like four or five minutes left towards the end, I think they turned it up a little bit. Um I think that they were kind of put into an in between spot. So but uh, but you know, overall I enjoyed the match. I kinda thought Sonata was gonna win this match, so I was a little surprised. But Me uh, too. it's it's still early in the tournament, so who knows? Uh, this next match, I think, might have been my favorite of the night, and I love the final match, but Kota Ibushi defeated Zack Sabre Jr. This was an awesome match. This was fun with the difference in styles. You have Kota Ibushi, who is fast, fluid, can do great aerial things, but also is a great striker, got thunder in his hands, against Zack Sabre Jr., who is just a lethal anaconda-like technician, your old-school English shooter-style wrestler, uh, with jujitsu throwing throw, throw it in there. I mean, 
just stretching Abushi every chance that he got and just displaying that just ridiculous way that he could just get someone into. But then you'd have Abushi. There's this one great part that I love, just like little things within these uh, performances. But uh, uh, Abushi, or uh, what you call it, Zack Sabre Jr. was off Abushi. He kept on kicking him in the face. And then Abushi got up and just punched him in the stomach. And I feel like he dropped actually because of the hit, because he was nailing him. But, you know, I, I don't know. But I had a lot of fun watching this match. Uh, I was happy that Cody got the win at the end of it. And uh, I just I enjoy watching both these guys by themselves. So having them against each other was uh, a lot of fun. How would you feel about it, Chris? I thought it was a hell of a match. It, it wasn't as good as the one that they had at the New Japan Cup recently. But, uh it was a damn good match. It's exactly what I expect out of these two. Um, lots of back and forth. There was a ton of good spots. It was a 23-minute match, so I'm not going to go through all of the awesome spots. But I think the one, of like, uh, there, were, there was a series there where, like, Sabre had hit a bunch of uppercuts, and then out of that, Abushi went for, like, a, God, what is it called? where you basically lock up, you do like a WCW backslide pin type deal. And then right out of that, oh. uh, after oh like Sabre basically blocked it, Nabushi just flipped around to hit with a bridging like suplex for a pin. Like he hit him with a bridge suplex. Like that's, there was a couple spots right out of that that I thought were pretty fucking good. Towards what the about that power bomb from Abushi, man? That was, he's got an amazing power bomb. He's just, he's amazing. Uh, he hit like a middle rope Min- moonsault that looks really good. There was a bunch of really good things uh, in that match. Like, uh, oh, what about that spot where uh, he was going to go do his normal, you know, he throws Zack Sabre Jr. out, and then he goes to do a backflip, and Zack Sabre Jr. jumps up, grabs him, puts him in an arm bar, drags him off the apron, back into the ring. Like, man, dude, the, those sequences are just crazy. Yeah, there was a spot there where, like, uh, God, Abushi went for like the last ride, basically, and Saber turned it into like, uh, like a, basically two different submission spots. I can't remember the name of the first submission spot he hit, but then he put him in like a, a basically a single leg Boston Crab uh, for for the rope. Yeah. Like, there was a bunch of good spots in that damn match. It, it, I would say definitely one of the best matches of the night. I tend to lean towards the last match as being my favorite. Uh, I think the crowd was the most into that match. You could go either way, though. It just depends on what you like, honestly. Um, as a big NATO fan, I, I kind of... Uh, yeah, speaking of which, up. still a incredible match between Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, I thought Naito had it like three times. <laughs> and then Kenny ended up <laughs> winning at the end. I, I, the one spot that I, I keep on thinking of is when it looked like Kenny was trying to get him in the one-winged angel off the top ropes. And... Naito spun it around somehow, sunset suplex powerbomb, you know, within this mode. Like, it, it, it's crazy to see athleticism with both these guys. And then, of course, when Tranquilo just perfectly in sequence right afterwards, and Kenny looked like he got destroyed. God, Kenny Omega is such a good seller. He is so, just a great wrestler. Both of those guys tore each other up. I've just, I've seen them wrestle a bunch. I think that might have, not taken detracted, but. I love that other one because I haven't seen Chris is talking about another performance between Ibushi and um, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. This was my first viewing experience with two of them, so maybe that heightened it. But this was a great match, too. I don't know if New Japan... I don't want to say they set up having the two best matches last, 
but it kind of seems like they do that. Um, but these two matches back to back was pretty incredible and uh, very very surprised Kenny got the win. But they, they're telling the story, Chris, of Naito, you know, getting to the bottom to come back up is what I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I'm going. Oh, I, shit, think, wow. I think. You know what? I think it's I think it's all Lij because they all keep on losing. I I think it could be that where they're pushing. For for a long time, NATO has been over with the crowd, um, and I think it might be a situation where they're pushing NATO out, or switching a group up to make NATO a face. To be completely honest with you, and I've been talking about that for oh, about a year now, where I think that he if he if he switched, he would be the top face in the fans of the Japanese audience, not necessarily the American fans that watch New Japan, but I think that he would definitely be up there. Um, Man, there was some great shit in this match. Just amazing. Uh, there was a uh, there was one spot where Omega went to the top rope and Nato like popped the ropes, obviously crotched him, and then he went for a top uh, top rope, you know, reverse Franken, uh, Frankensteiner, and then Omega just hit a Snapdragon suplex and then a gut wrench power bomb, like right off the bat. Like the the way that they transition between their moves is just fucking incredible. Um, the one thing I will say, like, outside of that, is that if I'm remembering correctly, towards the end, there was a lot of reversals of finishers, and it reminded me of what Omega and Okada does, and I think that is one of the things that Omega and NATO will always be compared to. Um because if I remember correctly, there was like a bunch of Destino attempts, and then it just turned into a V trigger and a one winged, uh, one winged angel, and it reminded me of yep. the first uh, Okada Omega match, which was, you know, he was going for the V trigger, going for the V trigger, uh, going for the one winged angel, got hit with a spinning tombstone, and then set up with just like I don't remember if it was two or three rainmakers, but that that was that was the end of the first match. So it. It fell back into that a little bit. It would I would love to see one of these two guys, if they face each other again, someone just get a submission victory or something weird or a roll-up or uh, after a brutal match just to alleviate uh, the end of the match and the heightened drama. It's like watching a comic book movie if you know what the end is going to be. You know what I mean? Like if, if yeah. you know that, okay, yep. here's the reversal sequence. They're, they're both going for these finishers. We've built up for this many minutes. Here it's going to be. And I don't think every fan's going to know that, but these guys have wrestled each other enough that I think like something uh, weird, like you know, Nito putting Omega into a figure four and getting a win, would be really cool. Um, kind of like a surprise, not like when WWE surprised us with uh, Jinder Mahal becoming the number one contender for a title, but a good surprise where you're like, oh shit, wrestling happened. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. You know, that that actually makes me think of it. I, I've i never – I don't. does Kenny even have, like, a signature finisher that he normally does? I've seen him do the sharpshooter, but that was with the Jacksons, and they have three guys. I, they were going for a shtick, basically. But I've never – like, is he just, like, a standard, like, I'll put him in a heel hook and an armbar type of guy? He's got a couple of a couple of signatures. I mean, the one that he could go for the easiest would be the calf crusher, and then you could just pin it like with oh, yeah. Styles being the mentor, or you could even have NATO do the calf crusher and be like, 
Nato did that shit because of AJ Styles and he's a dick. Depending on how you wanted to play yeah. it. But either way, I think that would have been a really fun finisher. And I, I'm not against people I tapping agree. out. I, I don't think people tapping out makes you look weak. John Cena started that shit a little bit with that, like, never give up. And they're like, no, he he actually never taps out. <laughs> and it's kind of, you don't really see too many <laughs> submissions. You don't really see that too many submissions in wrestling. But, like, bro, if you get put in an arm bar and there's nowhere to go, and the decision is your arm is going to be broken or you're going to tap out, you're going to tap out. I think the females have done a better job at uh, replicating uh, – like UFC in a lot of ways, as far as people tapping out, uh, than the male wrestlers have. Yeah. Other than Samoa Joe, just, you know, Samoa Joe is just choking motherfuckers out. That's different. But, but, uh, like, as far as like, I'm in a submission, holy shit, this guy might break my arm. Uh, the females have done a lot better at, uh, doing those finishes, specifically Asuka, I think in WWE has done a great job with making every submission look brutal. And they need to get back to that because someone should be able to catch you with a submission out of nowhere after a long match. And that should be a surprise to the audience. You don't want to do it every time. I don't think it needs to be like your signature where you finish someone with your finish, you know, like Bret Hart style. Uh, I think having multiple finishers is a good thing, but I I don't necessarily think like we're going to reverse each other's finisher for five minutes is, is a great way to end the match. It's different when it's Okada and Omega because there's so much built into it. But when it's NATO and Omega, you kind of look at it and go, well, you just kind of do that spot like recently. It's it's just one of those things. Not the shit on the match because I thought the match was great. It's just a observation. I think it would be great for one of them guys to get a submission victory over the other guy. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It would definitely add a element that uh, we haven't seen and I don't want, uh, you know, like you're kind of saying, I don't want Omega to be put in a certain category with, uh, uh, you know, um, people to think that that's going to happen every single time, basically, get repetitive at all. But let's move on to, um, after talking about G1, Chris, let's let's move on to Extreme Rules. And usually I'm being a little bit, you know, sarcastic and stuff, but I, there were actually a lot of fun matches on this card. So I'm going to look forward to uh, talking to Chris to see how he liked uh, some of them once I, uh, you know, pull it up because I'm unprofessional and not paying attention. I realized I took down the results, but I, I actually know the kickoff. Uh, Andrade Siama almost, he defeated Sinkara, and I thought it was a good display of the two guys. I wish we could see these guys perform before that, but I think Sinkara actually legitimately got injured. So he was out for a little while. Um, either way, you know, it was a, uh, Fun match start off. Uh, I'm really happy what they did on SmackDown with having Almas go against AJ Styles for the second match. Uh, I think they're kind of showing, you know, him off, uh, which is good. Uh, I mean, he's doing better than uh, Bobby Roode uh, is right now currently. Uh, God damn it. Uh, but, Chris, how did you feel about this uh, start off match of the pre show? You know, honestly, I thought it was a pretty decent match. It didn't show me anything I didn't already know about either competitor, but uh, it was fun. Uh, Nothing to write home about. I I think it was better than some other matches later on we'll talk about, but uh, yeah, it was entertaining. Let's just put it that way, especially for a kickoff match. Usually I just skip those and watch those like two days later, so this one was okay. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And actually, especially the next match, these two kickoff matches, I think, were better than some of the matches on the main card. But what are you going to do? Tag team table match, Sanity, which is Killian Dane, Eric Young, and Alexander Wolf defeated the New Day. Um, Big E, Kofi Kingston, and Xavier Woods. Uh, Young put Kingston through a table with an elbow drop to win the match for Sanity. This is a really good back-and-forth match. Uh, I like seeing the three-on-three. I like that they're kind of, you know, putting a little bit of a, a block in uh, New Day's momentum. Uh, I think that, you know, having them work together will be good for them. Uh, as you can see, uh, Kofi lost to uh, Eric Young on SmackDown. So, Good stuff all around. I think this is a good match, and honestly, this probably could have been on the actual wrestling card and given a couple more minutes because you know they would have tore it up even more so. So I'm looking forward to more from these guys uh, going back and forth. Chris, how did you feel? I thought this was a great match. It was great to see uh, Eric Young kind of have a long format. I think what they're doing with New Day and Sanity takes a little bit of pressure off of uh, the top of that tag team division. And I agree with you. I think there are some matches that you could replace <laughs> Balor and Corbin um, on the main card uh, with this match. But, uh, yeah, oh, I, wonder, I, I liked it. I wonder which match you didn't like, Chris. Um, <laughs> well, well, now we're on the main card. Let's talk about the first match. Uh, kind of a throwaway match in a little bit. Uh, for the Raw Tag Team Championship, the B Team. Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas defeated Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt, the leader of worlds. They're not going to ever do anything with Matt Hardy that's progressive at all. I think they're going to put more into Jeff than they are Matt, but I, I think we both saw that coming. It's unfortunate, though, because I don't know what the hell is going on with him and Bray. Dallas pinned Hardy with a rope assisted suplex to win the match. The B team are the new tag team champions. I just don't get why out of, out of uh, I think it was three or four matches, no, three matches, involving uh, Matt Hardy. He had to take the pin every fucking time instead of Bray. But, you know, what are you going to do? I like the B team, though. I like Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas. They're excellent wrestlers. And I'm glad they're given uh, some type of opportunity. It just seems like it's at the expense of two really good wrestlers that could be main event level if they treated their fucking characters right. Um, I don't know. Chris, how would you feel about this match? I found it discouraging. I feel like Raw has no idea what to do with their tag team division, and they have authors of pain sitting in the wings not doing anything. And I think it's fucking I ridiculous. Um, I It's fine that the B team are there. They're transitional champions. Uh, I like Curtis Axel and yeah. Bo Dallas both, but they're just there to get smashed by either the Revival or Authors of Pain. That, that's I think the only Revival. Um, they're probably going to do a feud between Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt, which I don't care for. I really don't. I didn't want Matt Hardy anywhere near Bray Wyatt to begin with. If you go back seven months ago and listen to this podcast, you will hear the same I thing. Know. I did. Ugh, you didn't. Should have listened to you. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it is what it is. This is what's happening. Uh, I have no problem. Matt Hardy doesn't need a title. Bray doesn't need a title. Putting on the B team is fine. It's it's there to put over either the revival or Authors of Pain. If it's me, it's Authors of Pain. I think they're a better tag team. Bible. It doesn't matter because the bottom of that tag team division sucks. So it's just going to be two tag well, teams facing for, for forever the same way it was when it was, you know, Bray and Hardy or the Hardys versus uh, Sheamus and Cesaro because they refused to build up a raw tag team division in a way that actually did something. Yeah, and uh, that's the thing is like, just get it on the revival and or, or Authors in Pain and let them 
at least we know they can work with each other. You know, Revival and Office of Pain, obviously the DIY included, had some great matches. So, I don't know, just build, rebuild a division. I have no clue what's going on. I have no idea what's going on with Matt uh, or Bray. It's just, I guess, time will tell. But, um, well, good for, good for Bo Dallas and, and Curtis Axel for sure, man. All right, then Kurt Angle announced that Brock Lesnar has been issued an ultimatum, either show up on Raw Monday, agree to his next title defense, or be stripped of the Universal Championship. This got a yes chant from the crowd. As we know, Chris, Monday happened. Um, Paul Heyman uh, showed up. The Walrus tried to strut his shit. Kurt Angle put it into him and then made a series of two three-on-threes. Both the matches actually were awesome. Um, one with Drew McIntyre, oh, man, it was Drew McIntyre, Roman Reigns, Finn Balor, in which Roman Reigns won, and then Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins, and uh, Elias. Opening segment was, a segment was actually a lot of fun, too, you know, building up to this whole thing. Uh, the winner of that was Bobby Lashley. I can't believe it's going to, you know, we'll probably get a rubber match, but I feel like Bobby Lashley is going to fucking – Lose to Roman, and we're going to get Roman and Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, which all of us have been dreading. Why can't – I mean, I, I really feel – and I actually I, – I like the Roman – we'll talk about it. I like the Roman-Bobby Lashley match. I thought it was actually a fun match back and forth. There is more, I think, to me with Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar, and then, like I said, send Braun Strowman at the end. You only have to finish the match. Let him get the freaking title. Brock's obviously going to have to be transitioning elsewhere, start training for, you know, uh, the beginning of the next year when he's, you know, went through the whole entire uh, testing system and is eligible. I think it's at, that's as soon as January, they said. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that. But either way, what the fu- what are we doing? I mean, I, I really hated when Paul Heyman said that he wants to bring the universal belt with them to the match. Because I don't think that would happen, but, like, are they really thinking about keeping him around as this fucking invisible uh, – I, I, I don't get it. They have a shit tag division, and their universal belt is awful. So all Raw has, basically, is the intercontinental title, and that's it. And we'll, and I, I have some problems with the Iron Man match, but I, I enjoyed it for the most part, but certain parts bothered the hell out of me. But what the hell are they doing? I mean, this kind of goes outside of just the pay-per-view, Chris, but – are you worried about any of this? How do you think it's going to play out for SummerSlam? I think it's fucking hilarious that they look at a guy that couldn't hack it in TNA and want to give him a fucking title shot. That's what I think. Like, he's not the number one guy on TNA. How the fuck are you trying to push him over Seth Rollins? Use your fucking head. You're going to put these three big guys in the match. They're going to have a shit match. Everybody's going to boo it out of the fucking building. They're going to go triple threat. That's exactly what they're going to fucking do. And everyone's going to fucking hate it. That's how I feel about it. I think it's shit. <laughs> That's the easiest way well, to put it. <laughs> I agree with, with some of the stuff that you're saying for sure. I mean, I don't understand. We're, you're probably right. We're probably going to get a triple threat out of this, which will just be fucking awful, but I actually like Bobby Lashley to an extent, um, and I get the appeal of the concept. Uh, fuck load more than than Roman and Brock Lesnar, again. Why? But, like, he couldn't I, even I, I carry, he, could, he couldn't carry the belt on TNA, dude. Like, he couldn't even but be the guy on TNA. TNA. Look at TNA. That, no one was watching TNA. Oh, 
though. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter. That really well, that's even worse. If, if you're the top, if you're the top guy on TNA, then you should be the top. You should be the top of the. Austin Aries is carrying it. Yeah, like Bobby Lashley is not. Bobby Lashley wasn't the guy when they put the ECW title on him, and he's not the guy now. The fact that they're skipping over someone like Elias Sampson or Seth Rollins or some of these other casts that they had in that match to make this match only to put Braun Strowman over, which is what they should have done to fucking begin with six months ago, is infuriating. I agree with all that. I just I don't think that uh, Bobby's that horrible. Um, I understand. I don't think he's terrible. Especially, especially in a Vince McMahon sort of way. He's just not um, the guy. He's definitely not the guy that's no, right to take the title so, off Brock. You know what I'm so sick of, Chris? And I, I think he's going to agree with me on this. I'm so sick of the fucking guy concept. Okay? That happens when it happens when you get a guy that's big. Most of the time, and I mean during some of the best times in wrestling, maybe not money-wise, you had multiple guys that were bringing the product there. So it's like this whole concept of Brown being the fucking guy, it just it drives my interest. Of, of the heavyweight division, it's like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know. It's, it's very confusing. It's funny, though, because when we get to it and we haven't I, even got to the match, I, I think they had a decent I, match. Yeah, and I get what you're saying. I'm not even talking about the guy in the sense of the guy you build your company around. I mean, he's not even the guy that carried the title. I mean that he is not yeah. the best person for that job. Not like you should build your company around this guy because I don't necessarily think Seth Rollins is the guy either. I'm just saying like yeah. this isn't the guy you put the title on. This isn't the guy you put in the title match. Came back. He's had a decent match with Roman Reigns. The rest of his matches have been kind of garbage. You built him up on a, a, a dumb storyline about his sister with Sami Zayn who got injured uh, and they just shaboshed that entire thing. He's pushed way too fast. No one cares about a feud between him and Roman Reigns. They had a good match. That's not his fault. Like, you can only do so much athletically in the ring, but no one cares about three big dudes that are going to go into spear punch, spear punch mode for 10 minutes on the main event for the title, only to get demolished by Braun Strowman. It's not going to make Strowman look good. It's, It's just not. The best you could do out of it is have Kevin Owens screw over Braun Strowman in this inevitable three-way with the Money in the Bank cash-in. So at least you have something for Strowman to do if you want to keep the title on Brock. Like, the entire thing is just a fucking... It's just a garbage show in comparison to what SmackDown can do with their title belt and all of the different baby faces and heels that they have built up. Like, Raw has been so top-heavy for so long, and their inability to actually give someone a run outside of Brock has put them in this situation. It's not that I'm saying Bobby Lashley is a bad wrestler. I'm saying that he was never... He's, he is not a champion. He's a champion in the same way, uh, same way that, that Kane was a champion, where you would have to work to earn it. Braun Strowman should have had this belt six months ago. If you weren't going to do that, you should have gave it to Samoa Joe. They, they've wasted it. It's, yep. Or whenever Samoa Joe had that match with Brock, that's when they should have, that, the, even going further back. Like, the title should have already been off Brock. And now they're in a shitty situation where it's like, well, Braun's going to cash in the money in the bank. And that's so predictable to have four big dudes fight each other. It's so Vince McMahon. No one's going to care. It's going to get booed out of the fucking building. It's terrible. 
Yeah, the only way it won't is if Brown comes out and wins real quick, but it's I'm just sick of it too. It's it's I don't what I don't get is Vince is getting paid point five billion dollars a year for his new contract with what, SmackDown, I believe was was the concept. It was something like that. Yet he's he's trying to go at Roman so much and push him, even if it's on Raw, I'm just saying collectively Roman is supposed to be the guy with, with WWE and it's off merch sales. Isn't the fucking foundation of what you're doing on your television show uh, for potential viewers with what you get for a contract more important than merch sales? I, 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 I don't get it. Like, he's not pushing – he can't be pushing the needle that much. And like we've always said, you're just killing him. But we can get back into this, Chris, when we get to their match, which you continue with the rest of the matches uh, building up to that. Uh Real quick, your favorite one. Finn Balor defeated Baron Corbin. Balor encountered end of the day into an inside cradle to win the match. I got to admit, this match, I think it was going on. I don't remember anything that happened there. It was very unforget- or it was very forgettable. I like Baron Corbin. I'm not one of those guys that hates on him. I think he's got a lot of speed. He's got some cool moves. His personality is, is uh, Keanu Reeves 2.0. I love Finn Balor. I don't remember anything about this, so I'm going to go with my uh, colleague in uh, – what he says about it, probably going to agree with, even though I don't remember what the hell happened. So, Chris, take us through this match. It was just a boring TV match, and Finn Balor basically yep. won with a cradle pin. Like, he escaped Balor, like, Balor escaped, <laughs> that, you know, the end of the days, and hit a cradle pin. Is this that was a weakness? <laughs> just getting cradle pin? They should the make that a time. gimmick. If they made it a gimmick, it would be more interesting, honestly. But the problem you is, is the match wasn't that good. Me. <laughs> the problem was the match wasn't that good. It doesn't make Corbin look good. It doesn't make Balor look good, and it just means we get another one of these matches. So congratulations, everyone involved. Oh, great. Yeah, you're probably right about that. And that's because they don't have anything for Finn Balor to do. And just making him chill on the sidelines and smile a bunch. Or Baron. I mean, Baron is a good wrestler. Have him do something. Yeah. If you're going to have him feud with Finn Balor, have him demolish Finn Balor. How like, have not, him like, win one the of these of matches. How, how would it have been cool if he set him up with the end of days, but then Finn got out of it and got a swing blade off of him within that motion? Like, stuff like that. Would have been a hell of a lot of fun to watch between the two of them. I, Finn's another thing that just aggravates the hell out of me because you could have him as such a badass heel because he's so good at being sinister if you watch any of his uh, New Japan stuff. You could have him being more of a, a baby face that's kind of got like more of a darker side. He loves doing face paint. You have no problem with Jeff Hardy doing it. I always said if you want the demon to be this concept, which it wasn't originally, have it be like a symbiote where it, it slowly grows you know, where it's like around the eye and kind of like encompasses so that the main event, it leads up to that, you know, in some type of way. But they just have him as this smiling guy that's reminding everyone. And we all know, and I wish that he would get redemption for this. He was the first universal champion and he never got his rematch. I just, what a fucking just misuse of Finn Balor. And he looks like a million bucks, but God damn it. Anyways, Bludgeon Brothers, they attack Team Hell No backstage, injuring Kane's leg, uh, break kayfabe for a second. Kane actually, I don't know if it was right before this, he, he broke his ankle. So unfortunately, they had to do this to, to 
changed the matchup kind of at last minute. So I guess they had it the opposite ankle. He broke. I guess Team Hell No now has to abruptly end uh, because Kane's going to – or Glenn Jacobs has to go into, you know, uh, he's running for office right now, and he's, he's, he's uh, apparently going to win. So I'm sure that he has uh, some other obligations to take care of. Looks like from what we got that Finn Balor and The Miz, they're going full force SmackDown or uh, SummerSlam with it. So, uh, yeah, it's hurt. Um, We'll kind of wrap that up. Chris, I'll let you uh, talk about that once we get to that match. Let's uh, first get to this Women's SmackDown Championship match. I'm sure you're really excited to fucking talk about. Carmella defeated Asuka again. James Ellsworth was suspended above the uh, ring in a shark cage. Uh, he was able to repeatedly, he like interfered. He was throwing stuff down to her one time. It was mace. Uh, nothing worked. He eventually escaped, but he had a little scarf attached to his leg that uh, he got stuck with and was hanging upside down. Especially uh, when I first saw him, I was like, what the fuck is he, Ricky Morton? And, uh, okay, that's why he's doing it. It's all spot later on. So uh, basically the gist of it is they lowered the cage, try to, like, you know, um, free him up. Oscar uh, just beat the shit out of all the people that are helping him and then start beating the crap out of, uh, you know, James Elbler using him like a piñata. Uh, the cage was over by her, you know, to the level of her head. Carmella just pushed her into it. One, two, three. Carmella has now beaten Oscar twice and beaten um, Charlotte twice. Uh, now that they're pushing Becky uh, for the championship, Chris, what the fuck did they do with Oscar? Um, humble her, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to take away that undefeated streak even further to build her back up. But with each one of these bullshit losses she takes to Carmella, which no one fucking cares about, it hurts her. Whether they want to admit it or not. This is a terrible match. I hate shark cage matches in general. They usually fucking suck. If you're going to do a shark cage match, just have someone drop some brass knucks, end it quick. Don't do this gimmick. It The entire match became a gimmick. It became less of a wrestling match and a gimmick, which just further shows that Carmella doesn't deserve to be champion because she can't wrestle at the same level as Charlotte and Asuka and Becky Lynch and Natalia and Naomi. She's not on the same fucking level as those cats. It's just a, I don't know. Fuck it. I fucking hated it. <laughs> Ellsworth is fun. <laughs> He's fun. This is not Ellsworth's fault. He did what he was asked to do. It's more just like what he was asked to do was shitty to begin with. So I fucking uh, hated it. I think it's a waste of Oscar. I think it's a waste of a fucking title match on a pay per view. I think it's a waste of a spot on a pay per view. Put it that way. So did you? Which one did you like better between this and Baron Corbin versus Finn Balor? The Baron Corbin match. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. All right, let's get to another awesome match. There are good ones, and we're gonna get to them. I promise. But uh, there really, United there States was some good matches. Match. <laughs> we're, we're almost there. It's we're not almost all there. Uh, Shinsuke, yeah, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura defeated Jeff Hardy. This is actually pretty clever, pretty, pretty heelish. I'm just getting sick of the low blows. Nakamura hit a low blow on Hardy behind the referee's back before the bell. As soon as it rung, and Jeff Hardy said he was good, Nakamura hit a Kinshasa to win the match and the U.S. championship. After the match, Randy Orton came out, 
He looked like he was going after Shinsuke, uh, and then went heel, stomped Jeff Hardy in the penis, and then left. Uh, and we all know, if watching SmackDown, uh, Shinsuke and Jeff Hardy actually had a hell of a match, way better than this, obviously. Um, and at the end of it, uh, after uh, Shinsuke won, uh, Randy Orton came out and beat the shit out of him. And uh, really gross spot. I get what they did. I'm sure that they were talking about it collectively, and Jeff kind of suggested it. If anyone has friends with gauges, and you probably watch the spot, uh, you'll know that if they're, if they're like their big triple zeros or whatever the hell they are. Um, I had gauges, but they, they didn't get that stretched out. It's very elastic, so you can kind of play with it. So Randy was literally putting his finger in the lobes and kind of like tugging on it. And it, from what Jeff was making it sound like, it, it looked just awful on destroying him to the DDC off the table. Kept on screaming, you know, uh, do you want to know why I'm doing this, Jeff? You're going to find out and like some shit like this. I like heel Randy Orton. He's supposed to be a fucking heel. I can't stand babyface Randy Orton. It's stupid. How would you feel about this match, and how do you see, feel about the potential of Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton? Because I know apparently they have some past bullshit from WWE. I'm wondering if they're going to bring up substance abuse within this. I'm not saying they would, but then again, look at CM Punk versus Chris Jericho for all that shit. They both had problems. Randy got clean and stayed around. Jeff got the fuck out of there, got clean and finally came back. I could see them bringing that up. What do you think, Chris? I really hope they don't do that. I think it's a it's a cheap pop bullshit. I didn't like it when Jericho did it against CM Punk, and I, I still don't like it. I Do it based on the fact that Jeff Hardy has beaten Randy Orton before. Do it based on the fact that Jeff Hardy is more personable, more popular, will always be more popular than Randy Orton. Randy Orton's popular, but he doesn't have the charisma of Jeff Hardy. He's never had it. Have, have Randy be bitter yep. about that. That's all you have to do. Randy doesn't need it, or like Randy doesn't need a reason to turn on someone. He's just a fucking dick. But he can make up a reason for yeah. it. He's really good at being a heel. <laughs> he's not very good at talking, but he's really good at being a fucking heel. So do that, and just have Jeff Hardy be like, "Hi, man, I'm from Cameron, North Carolina." He just basically does AJ Styles but worse. Just do that, and then have those two fight each other. It's fine. Um, the the weird part for me is why the fuck is Nakamura involved in this? <laughs> I that's what I want to know. What the fuck's going on with the U.S. title? Because both times Shinsuke's like, "Well, I guess I'm out of here. I'm gonna go now. You guys have fun." And then where did Shinsuke Which, go? He got the he got the fuck out of there. Why would he stand around while the dude gets the shit knocked out of him? Come on. So like after SmackDown, I had less of a problem with this because Nakamura beat him so quick. But it was really just to transition Jeff to Orton. So this is to build Jeff into a so. baby spot face, probably against whoever's going to get the title. So I'm thinking Jeff's going to get a huge push out of this. That is my guess, is that Jeff is going to be Orton and get a huge push. Oh, Chris, uh, how did you like Jeff, uh, his, his sit-down bomb on fucking Shinsuke? He, doesn't, he just can't do it anymore. He. Apparently, he doesn't do it on uh, house shows anymore just because it, it hurts him so bad. But when he did the Shinsuke, he literally just kind of flipped and put all of his weight on him and just smacked him. He doesn't need to do it at all. Just hit the twist of fate. He doesn't have to hit that yeah, spot at all. Yeah, fine. I, w- I, would, I would save it. I would just save it. Just hit a straight stunner. Honestly, or you're if, Jeff Hardy. If, if, if it's shit. not as bad, 
just do the whisper in the wind instead of it to set up the twist of faith or vice versa. I mean, it doesn't have to do a symptom bomb if it's fucking them up that bad. Because it looks painful for the person taking it as well because he's just getting dead weight smacked on you. You know, before if he's going to start doing he, had, he can do it, he glided, he, uh, he glided off of them. Would that be the right terminology? If he's going to start... If he's going to start doing the face paint and stuff, why not do a Sting tribute and just do the Stinger Death Walk? That would be awesome. Yeah, dude. As an apology type deal. And, like, do a speech about it and put it on WWE's website or wherever the fuck and be like, hey, this is a tribute to Sting. I disrespect him, and I feel like that every win I should have should be based in the name of Sting. He's one of my favorites. Do something like that. It gets you over as a baby face. Gives you an easy out, and you don't have to do a fucking front flip off the top ropes at like forty years old. Um, yeah, exactly. But Nakamura hitting him in the nuts makes sense for Nakamura's character, especially if they're just going to blow past this match and not even give a fuck about it. So I, this match didn't bother me as much as the match before it. After SmackDown, right. before SmackDown, I was super pissed. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> but after SmackDown, what I was like, "Okay." On? Yeah. <laughs> God, that, that earlobe spot still bothers the hell out of me. All right, we, we need to move on. Uh, steel cage match. Kevin Owens defeated Braun Strowman, sort of. Oh, God, man. This is like, what, the 20 years or 30 years after the Hell in the Cell thing? I think it was in the same arena they were talking about. And they decided to pull a tribute. Like, do we need to see KO get flung from the top of the damn cage? Very similar in aspects to Mick Foley getting flung by friggin' Uh, Undertaker, I know they were a little bit higher, but and I know they had the uh, the balloon thing that came out of the uh, the the table, but still, it's like, can we just not do that anymore? Uh, Strowman chokeslam Owens from the top of the cage through a table to the floor, causing Owens to technically win the match. Owens was taken away by a stretcher, and uh, we have Braun, who's just over baby face doing some shit. Whatever. It probably works because of Kevin Owens. How'd you feel about this, Chris? I still like the match, though. It was fun. I thought the match was actually pretty fun. It's fine him getting thrown off. This is no worse than the the latter spot he did at the last pay-per-view. Poor Kevin Owens gets... We've talked about this before. Owens is their Mick Foley. If there's something he can be tossed off of, Shane McMahon is not around. It's going to be Kevin (laughs) Owens. Shane McMahon's not around. That's so true. Oh god! If you think about it, every right. Money in the Bank match, he takes the biggest spot. He does, and uh, this is no he different. Does. Like he took a big twenty-foot ladder spot at Money in the Bank, and then he took this one. Um, what I hope from this is Braun Strowman wins a title, and Kevin Owens comes back, and he's like, "I beat Braun Strowman, so I deserve a title match." And then you get the you get the belt back on Kevin Owens as a heel. Oh, uh, and I'm down for that. He deserves it. I think he's held his weight. I think he's done the best job as a heel in the entire company since Jericho left. Uh, but, yeah, let's move on because we got a couple more. All right, SmackDown Tag Team Championship match. Bludger Brothers defeated Team Hell No. I mean, Brian had uh, to wrestle most of a two-on-one due to the pre-match attack. Uh, Kane eventually showed up in a cast to help, uh, but the Bludgeon Brothers were able to pin Brian with the clothesline powerbomb combo. I, I guess this had to have been booking last minute because of the injury that Kane sustained. Um, I, I feel like they probably would have had a bigger match uh, if Kane didn't really actually fuck up his real his ankle in real life. So, uh, yeah, how do you feel about this? Kind of sucks for Daniel Bryan, but now they're going full steam with him and Miz. So I'm kind of I'm I'm I'm, I'm cool with that, Chris. 
I'm not. Have them attack both of them. Keep Brian off the air for a while. Then go back into it. Because it made Brian look weak. They should have just had him attack both of them. Sold that Brian was injured again. Do a fake sell so you feel bad for him. And then come back to it later. It just doesn't make any sense. I get why they did it because of the injury, but you could have just injured both of them and had them go off TV for two weeks and then come back to whatever the And it would have given more heat to fucking uh, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. I agree with that completely. I think it was possibly, but yeah. We kind of talked a lot about Bobby Lashley and Roman Reigns. Um, I will just say that I thought the match was actually pretty entertaining. It wasn't anything that great. And I like the end sequence where Lashley got the spear out of nowhere, and I couldn't believe Roman Reigns lost. Seems like it's in my face because, as Chris alluded to, it's probably going to be a three-way, or Roman's going to beat Bobby Lashley. He's not going to be like, well, I already beat you. This is bullshit. Let's have a rubber match. And then it's going to be Roman versus Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Um, Do you have anything last to say about this, or do you just want to move on? No, I think it was a fine match. I'm not shitting on the match. I just don't care about the storyline at all. Neither one of these people are ready to hold the title coming off of Brock Lesnar. If you're going to put it on anyone, yep. put it on either Braun or Seth. I, I completely agree with you on that, man. I'd rather fucking Elias at this point. Um, and I'm not kidding about that. Um, Extreme Rules match for the Women's uh, Championship match. Alexa Bliss defeated Nia Jax. Ronda Rousey interfered to take out Mickey James, but it wasn't enough. James interfered again, attacking Jax with a chair and setting up Bliss to hit the DDT onto the chair for the win. Blah, 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 blah. I don't care. Ronda Rousey needs to get that damn title. How do you feel, Chris? Uh, I, what a, it didn't make any sense. Ronda has been fucking bitched at by all of the people in this match, and why would she come out to take out Mickey James? I, I didn't fucking get it. I didn't get the match. I didn't get the story. I don't care. Alexa Bliss beating Nia Jax doesn't mean anything at all. It also doesn't make any goddamn sense, so I hated it. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, pretty goddamn good match. A lot of people said should have gone last, but I think they were trying to time themselves. Uh, strange with the Intercontinental Championship match being the ending, but whatever. AJ Styles defeated Rusev. Good match back and forth. I really enjoyed it. I watched it twice because the first time I kind of was half asleep when it was on, so I went back and watched it again. Uh, really enjoyed it. Styles is amazing. Rusev's a damn good wrestler, too. At the end of it, seems like it's showing some stuff where Aiden English is going to have a departure with Rusev Day because he went to help his, his boy out, got the turnbuckle uh, padding off, and ended up being the thing that caused Rusev to lose the match. Uh, how'd you feel about it, Chris? I thought it was a good match that started out kind of slow. But once it picked up, I thought it was the best match of the night. Um, I just wish they would have gave Rusev a win here. I think it would have been good for both him and AJ, uh, especially with the amount of opposition they have on SmackDown. I'm fine with them not winning. Uh, Like I said, the match started out kind of slow. I think AJ is doing a great job as being kind of a gatekeeper right now for whoever's next. So uh, I like the match. It was my favorite match of the night. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was the best match of the night. And then the last match, 30-minute Iron Man match for the IC belt. Dolph Ziggler defeated Seth Rollins. Uh, it went to a draw. They even fucking did the whole entire Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels thing where Quilla Monsoon walked out, but it was actually uh, Kurt Angle telling him, no, nope, it's a draw. You guys are going to have one more thing in which 
I think Drew McIntyre interfered right before that. I don't know. I thought it was a good match. What ruined it to me is them taking the pins and being that quick about it. That you know at the beginning, that's that's not really believable. I mean, he got a roll up, accepted, and then came back uh, for a curb stomp. It was two to zero before I think it was even like five minutes in, and then he made it three to zero. And then McIntyre, because McIntyre came in and then interfered, beat the crap out of him, which I like the strategy, but. He definitely called the match afterwards, and then he did it again. Whatever. Uh, I get you're building Drew McIntyre. What the fuck ever. I don't care. Dolph Ziggler retains it. It was a fun match. There was a lot of great parts. It just them using too many pins too collectively, too quickly, kind of bothered me. And I didn't like the interference from Drew McIntyre. I think it kind of uh, fucked up a good match. It's stupid booking. Chris, how do you feel? I agree with stupid booking. I think the in-ring work was fine. I think that uh, if you get banned from ringside, you're banned from ringside. You don't get to come back out because it's overtime. The ref doesn't forget that he banned you from ringside. Unless you knock out the ref and have a new ref, which would have been smart booking instead of lazy booking. So to me, this match was bullshit because of that in itself. But the in-ring work was really good. Um, I just hope that... And now, somehow, Seth is being put in the title picture, which I don't know how you lose the IC belt, and then... But whatever, if that that works. That's what I was going with, is, like, what the fuck are they doing? Because, like, is he going against Drew McIntyre? Because that'd be the most obvious thing to do. But no, he's in the title picture. So, fuck, I don't know. So, bad match. Well, I don't know either. <laughs> yeah, because of booking issues, bad match. But overall, Extreme definitely had some good matches. We talked a lot about wrestling, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back at our normal time, 7 o'clock. Definitely check out our coverage of Comic-Con this weekend. And, uh, yeah, check out all of our stuff. Chris, say goodbye to the beautiful people. Good night, guys. Love y'all. And that's the bottom line. Just don't go, Seth, go. Peace out.